So this week, you know, we see last week we had really a, a very challenging passage that he says, you know, do not walk as the other Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. Now, how many of you struggle with that? It's okay. Futility of the mind, that's a hard concept because we want to, we want to offer something, right? We want to say, well, I got this right. I mean, it's, you know, from childhood on when people are found <clears throat> in guilt or, you know, anything, we always want to do what? We kind of want to justify. You know, let me point to worse behaviors to make myself feel better about my own behavior. You know, well, what about them? Or we, we want to do something. <clears throat> and so when we come to this point of Paul saying, futile mind, just don't, don't even depend on yourself at all. That can be hard. You know, the human ego doesn't like such blows. And so this week, Paul is going to show how the Christian life is really the, the polar opposite of that. Okay? And it starts at salvation. That really what we're getting into this week is the conclusion of last week's thought. Okay? We just had too much to kind of put into one. But if you can remember, you know, last week... The, the darkened understanding, the hardened heart, the, the callousness, uh, the, the continual lust for sensuality and a, and a greed for more, uh, just to feel. Paul starts then and he contrasts that state of existence with how we came to know Christ. And it's such a stark contrast that what we've got to do is learn to take this and say, okay, this is to be my entire life. It, salvation isn't just a one-time experience that, okay, I'm saved and now I'm, you know, I just kind of go on living. He's saying now that you're saved, don't walk like you used to. And there has to be this, in, this incredible, radical change inside of you that alters not just our salvation, but also our perception of reality. And how we live, and, and I'm not talking about just trying to, you know, check the boxes on good deeds. He's saying you've got to learn to process life entirely differently now. And he points to the moment of salvation as the way for us to understand that. And so look with me in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 20, going through 24, he says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Now he's referring back to the, the futile mind, the darkened understanding, the hardened heart, the, the callousness, the unfeeling nature of, of the lost life. He's saying that continual lust for sensuality. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, so what he shows us here, right off the bat, is that we must be enlightened to the truth. And when I say enlightened, I mean that there has to be an outside force, what we call the Holy Spirit, living presence has to come and show us and teach us what is true because we can't do it on our own why because our mind is futile 
We cannot grab hold of truth on our own. And you know what? We'll never be able to do that. Not on our own. Even as a Christian who was born again, we are still just as dependent on God to reveal the truth to us as we were when we were lost. We must be enlightened to the truth. We can't figure it out. And we have to let go of the belief that we can. Because there's a lot of us, a lot of us out there think we can. And I mean this, and I'm not throwing stones with this, but we think we can figure it out for ourselves. And you know what? We can't. And this is exactly what he says here when he says, we, he says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. That is such an important phrase because he's saying, look, you have to, you had to be enlightened. God had to reveal himself to you for you to know Christ. You didn't figure it out on your own. You didn't wake up one day and say, you know what? I think I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I figured it out. No, we all, and if, we, if we're honest, we have those moments where we, everybody who's born again can look back on their life and go, here's the moment God convicted me. And what does that mean? That means that he opened your eyes and showed you the truth that you never would have gotten to on your own. You could have thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. You never would have gotten there. It took a supernatural intervention to open your eyes to the truth. And so, that will never change. We are fully dependent on God to open our eyes to the truth. Always have been, always will be. Okay, listen, this is what, John, what, what Jesus meant in John 6, 44, when he says, no one can come to me, this is Jesus speaking, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on that last day. Now, what he's saying right there is that, look, we can't come to God unless God opens our eyes to our need for him, unless God reveals himself to us. Now, this is such an important beginning place for us to understand who we are in Christ and who we are apart from Christ and how bad things actually are and how good God is in his grace. Because he has to draw us all spiritual renewal, all spiritual growth, and all spiritual life originates with God first. It never works the other way. We don't come to God and then he moves. He comes to us and we respond. Every single time. Before you're saved, after you're saved, doesn't matter. It always originates in God. God is the one who took the initiative in your salvation. Okay, God is the one who started that process, not you. If it was up to us, what would we have done? We'd have had a futile mind, a darkened understanding, a hardened heart, a callous spirit, and a desire for sensuality with a continual lust for more. That's where we would be. That's how we would approach life. That's how we would think of God. That that is everything that we see going on in this world right now. Is people wanting their desires to be affirmed by God instead of us affirming God's desires. We get it completely backwards. And so, none of us figured this out on our own. God had to open our eyes first. And so that is why Paul says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. You didn't learn him by engaging in sensuality. Okay, we did not come to know Christ through any exercise of sensuality. 
Let me say that again. We did not come to know Christ through any exercise of sensuality. And when I say sensuality, I just mean dealing with the senses. Yes, apart from Christ, sensuality always devolves into something horrible. It always does. Okay? But it, it, it immediately begins with just a feeding of the senses in a pleasurable way. And you know what? We did not come to know Christ through that. Our own sinful nature did not point us to Christ. And so indulging, understand this, indulging in the pagan world will never lead us closer to Christ. And that's what grieves me so much when I see churches with rainbow flags on them. That's not a hatred towards a community. That is a church saying, we are not going to turn away from our own desires. We're going to flaunt them and then claim that God is just accepting of everybody. You know what? God does accept everybody when they're willing to repent. There's nothing you can do that God will not forgive, but we have to be willing to be forgiven. We have to deny ourselves in order to receive that forgiveness. And that's why Paul says, you didn't learn Christ this way. If you have accepted Jesus Christ, it was not because your sins were affirmed. It is not because you indulged and embraced sin in your life. That did not, nor did it lead anybody closer to Christ. Didn't lead you closer to Christ. Didn't lead anybody else closer to Christ. Is he understanding that the feudal mind, the darkened understanding, the hardened heart, and the lust for sensuality, that they only lead us away from Christ, opens the door for faith. Because when we understand that I bring nothing to the table personally, that if I'm left to my own devices, I'm going to fail. I'm going to rebel against God. I'm going to sin. If I just leave it up to me, I'm going to get it wrong. Then when I take me out of the equation of being good in any way, now I can start to see clearly the goodness of God. You see, once we see the darkness, once God reveals the darkness to us, you know what we start doing? We start looking for the light. And we don't look inside then. We start looking for the true light rather than the false light that lives within us. The self-righteousness. The sensuality. The feudal mind. And this is a big moment. And everybody that's been saved, when, when you have that legitimate moment with Jesus Christ, we're like, I need a Savior. You know what I'm talking about. You realized the darkness of your own heart. And you're like, I... This has to change. You, you, God opened your eyes to it. And it was a supernatural thing that happened. And suddenly you were open to the idea of a light that was beyond you. And it started because you realized you were the problem. Now I know that doesn't sound, you know, doesn't sound fun. And no, it's not a fun process, but it's the necessary process to get us to the point of seeing the light for what it is. Good and holy and perfect and love. And then we are set to receive his grace and his forgiveness. And so the truth at that point is unchanging. It's always unchanging, but you know what? It is only known by faith. The truth is only known by faith because it's not intellect, it's not leadership, it's not success, it's not failure. Truth is only known through faith. 
and there is a pattern to knowing truth, and it never involves the processes of the feudal darkened mind. Okay, there is a process to knowing the truth. So, listen to what Paul says again here. In verse 20, he says, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. You ready for this? This this is going to blow your mind. It's so complex. Okay? Here's how God has ordained for us to know the truth. We hear the gospel. Jesus reveals himself as the truth for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear because faith and we believe the gospel and we're saved. That's complex, right? We hear the gospel. We hear the truth. God works on our heart, opens our eyes to it. And we move into that truth through denying ourselves, denying the futile mind, defying the the darkened understanding of life, and embracing the light. And that's how God's always done it. That's why Paul says, I'm just going to assume you've heard the truth about Jesus. And have been taught in him, because the truth is in Jesus. You see, he's pointing them back to Christ. And, he, he, and, and, you know, he spent a lot of time in Ephesus, but by this point, the church has grown, and there are a lot of new Christians there he hasn't met. And so he's riding back to them, and he's saying, look, assuming you've heard my story, and now he's saying, and I'm assuming you've heard about Jesus. You see, for whatever reason, God has decided to bypass the intellect through the preaching of the word. That's why he has given us the gifts that he did. Remember I told you before, they're all gifts of the word. They are all gifts of the the presentation of the word in some way. When he said he he gave the apostles and the prophets and, and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers. Every one of those are ministries of the word that are designed to bypass the darkened intellect and present the truth so we can believe it. Now, when I say bypass the intellect, remember, I'm not saying that it's not that you're not a thinking person. I'm not saying you check your brain at the door. I'm saying your brain is worthless. In the the intellectual sphere, minus faith, all we can do, all the feudal mind can come up with is feudal thoughts. Feudal thoughts about God, feudal thoughts powerless to change anything. We won't accept the full truth. And it's just like a couple years ago, I saw on Twitter some seminary professor that is, you know, some modern leftist, liberal, whatever, apostate person said, you don't have to believe in the resurrection of Christ to celebrate Easter. Okay. What do you celebrate? You see, that's what the feudal mind will come up with. That's like saying you don't have to believe in air to breathe. Okay, well, say you don't believe in it, but it doesn't change the truth. You see, God has ordained that we preach the word, that we share the word, and it gets around that darkness. Because light always overcomes darkness. Always. And so, here's how Paul puts it in Romans 10, 14 through 17. Okay, it says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. You see, the word of the gospel goes out. Not everybody hears it. 
Not everybody's going to be saved. That does that mean that God withheld it from him? No. They heard it. But they did not have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive. And they received the gospel with the futile mind instead of by faith. And so it does absolutely nothing. And so it says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. And verse 17 is so important. It says, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And what is he saying? He's saying, you learn the truth outside of yourself. You don't figure it out up here. You hear it from the Spirit of God, and God changes you. And you know what? That process will never change. Your entire time on earth as a Christian, as a born-again believer, you have to go through that same process. And that's why Paul is pointing people back. He says, but that's not how you heard Christ. Because the faith that saved you, and get this, this is so important. The faith that saved you is the faith that will carry you through life. You don't ever outgrow the need for grace. You don't ever outgrow that faith that you just come desperately to God and say, God, I need you. I need to be forgiven. We bring that exact same faith to God. 20, 30, 40, 50 years later after we're saved, it doesn't matter. That same faith comes to God and says, God, I need you. I need to know the truth. I want to walk in the truth. And I can't do it. I need you. It never changes. And that's why Paul's able to say, that's not how you learn Christ. And you were taught in him as the truth is in Christ. Now, what were we taught? This is important. We were taught to put off your old self. Now, how many of you, when you hear, put off your old self? How many of you get in mind a list of things to quit doing? Because that's what we do, right? That's what we do. We think, okay, here's all the bad stuff I used to do. I need to not do that anymore. So that's not what Paul says. He didn't say, hey, stop doing all the bad things you used to do. What does he say? He says, put off your old self. Self. Identity. You're not who you used to be. And you've got to stop defining yourself by those old ways. You've got to stop thinking of yourself as being the same person you were before you were saved. Because you're not. You're a new creation. And he says, but we, we have to be intentional about removing that old identity from our mind. We have to engage in a process for that. We're already made new. We are forgiven. We are accepted. The blood of Christ is powerful. The power of sin is broken. But guess what? He calls us to cooperate with him in this part. And he says, you were taught in Christ to put off your old self. What does that mean? No more futile mind. No more darkened understanding. I don't get to live in that space anymore. Thinking that I've got it under control, that I can figure it out. So I want you to ask yourself, what desires did I have before I came to know Christ that were deceptive and corrupting? Because Paul makes an important statement right here, okay? He says that we were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Put off your old self, the old identity, which belongs 
to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Now, most people won't notice something that's very subtle here. The old self belongs to your former way of life. We use the word belongs. When a human being belongs to something, what does that make him? Slave. He says, you used to be a slave to deceitful desires, things that weren't even true that you believed, and you believed about yourself, and you believed about God, and you believed about the world. And you've got to get rid of that old identity. You've got to remove it. You see, our very identity and life were hijacked by lies and lust. That's what he's saying. Your life, your identity was hijacked. You believed things that were not true. And I'm not talking about just a checklist of, oh, do you believe the right thing here or there? He's saying your very understanding of your basic identity was off. It was wrong. He says you've got to put that old self off. You've got to divorce it. You've got to separate yourself from it completely. To put off the old self is a full rejection of every part of your identity that is not connected to Christ. And this is where Christians fail. Okay, I mean that. I've seen it over and over and over again. People believe for some reason, you know, if I could just overcome these few sins, then I'd be good. And they really believe that and they think, okay, if I could just stop Stop getting angry. If I just just get this temper under control, then I think I'm good. And they don't understand that temper is a part of an identity that they have accepted in themselves. And so what they keep doing is swatting at the fruit that shows up, not understanding the whole tree needs to die. And you can't uproot something like that in your heart without it affecting everything. Now, everybody's done it at one time or another. Had a string on a sweater or shirt, right? You've done it at some point. You're like, oh, you know what? I'll just get that. And you start pulling and what happens? You start unraveling the whole thing. And then somebody's mom or grandma's like, I told you not to do that. I told you I would fix it. <laughs> you know, because you pull and you pull and all of a sudden you come in, you got this mess and, you know, the sleeve is now shorter and it's messed up. You know what? That's what it is. Every bit of sin in our lives has a string connected all the way to the heart and the soul of a person. And, and, and the frayed ends keep showing up and we think, well, if I just, I'll just cut it off. I'll just cut it off and it'll be okay. And it keeps coming back out again. And you know what? As opposed to the sweater, what God tells us to do, he says, oh no, pull on that. Go ahead. I want you to just pull it on, and we start pulling, and it starts unraveling everything. And God says, good, that's what I wanted to happen, because I want that out of your heart. You're defining yourself by things that aren't you anymore. So get it out. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, put off the old self. Full-on separation. Put off the old self. And this is intentional. This isn't accidental. This is something he tells us that all of us are to be engaged in at an intentional level of changing our sense of identity for Christ. Do you see where it gets so bad when we get the self-help stuff now? 
in, this, in the culture. It's why I'm so against it. Because spiritual self-help makes it about me. Like I can become good and just, God, if, you, if I just do all this stuff and you'll just bless me and my life will be awesome. And he's like, no, you're looking at it the wrong way. You need to change your identity completely, not just get better at stuff. Getting better isn't going to change anything. He says, I need you to put off that old self. Instead of improving it, I need you to kill it. Get rid of it. Because I, God, has a new identity for you. And it's a wonderful identity. It is created to be, as he says later, in true righteousness. You're going to reflect his glory. And so to put off the old self is a full rejection of every part of your identity that's not connected. This is identifying those things within myself that need to be removed. And it's not something we can do half-heartedly. Nor is it something that we can ignore if we want to be faithful to Jesus. We've got to be all in on this. And so this is the continued work of repentance in the life of a Christian. And it's ongoing for our entire life. We never arrive, okay? Those of you in here that are just wondering when you're going to arrive, you're not. You can grow. You can mature. You will change. But until we step through the gates of heaven, this work will continue. Because that's how deep that thread runs. We're just going to keep pulling and keep pulling. But you know what? It will unravel things that need unraveled. You will change. You will become a different person in the process. One of the paradoxes of the Christian life, okay, just understand this. One of the paradoxes of the Christian life is the more mature you become, the more you're bothered by sin. And so it can feel like you're not accomplishing anything because you, you, you've repented and you're changing and you're growing. And, and man, there's a whole host of things that you've changed and your heart has changed and you're not doing it anymore anymore. But in doing that, you've revealed a whole bunch more. And you look at it and you're like, oh, God, am I ever going to get there? And he says, yeah, when you, when you enter into my presence, it'll all be gone, all of it. But for now, keep doing what you're doing. Keep walking with me. Keep bringing your identity to me. Let me unravel it. Let me put it back together again in what it's supposed to be. Just keep moving forward. Now, Paul, he's, he's a little more blunt about this in Colossians, a book that's very similar to Ephesians in theme and, and in writing. It's written again later in his life. But listen to what he says in Colossians 3, 5 through 9. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever's earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Now we'll get to the obscene talk later on in Ephesians. So we won't go too far there. But if you don't know the sin that God wants, you know, that you've attached your identity to, just think about this list. Look at it. Think about it. Ask God. He'll show you. Because we all like to take our pet sin, even just the root of it, and attach our identity to it. And you know how we know it's our pet sin? When somebody calls us on it, when God calls us on it, 
or, or uh, some preacher, you know, goes from preaching to meddling. That's what I've heard it put before. We start justifying. Oh, you just don't understand. That's just who I am. Exactly. That's why I said get rid of the old self. I know that's who you are. God knows that's who you are. But that's not who he's recreated you to be. And we have to let go of it. And so he's, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So in Ephesians, Paul says, put off the old self. In Colossians, he says, put to death whatever is earthly in you. And put off the old self with its practices. When we look at both of them, we see Paul is saying that we are to decide, take intentional extreme action, and remove every part of the old self we can. And this is identity. This is not just a checklist of bad things to not do. This is part identity, who we think we are. This is when I said, God's going to get in your business. Because this is going to be stuff that we're going to be like, I, that, that's who I am, God. This feels like an assault. This feels like an attack. And even at times, it's going to feel like an extreme loss before you understand what it really is, and then God opens your eyes to the truth and the new life that you have. And so there might even be a period of mourning. Did you know that? We will naturally mourn for the sin we had to give up. And when we get some distance between us and that time and we grow in Christ, we look back and go, oh, that's embarrassing. I was actually fighting God on that, and I was sad, and I was upset that he was getting in my business, and I thought he was attacking me when really he was curing me. He was helping me. But in the moment, it can feel so extreme and personal. Okay, and how personal? Jesus warned us how personal this was going to feel. Okay? The, the pain and, and the sense of personal assault involved. And we see this in Matthew 18, 8 and 9. What does he say? Jesus says, and if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Doesn't get much more personal than that, does it? It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Now, how radical are you willing to get to remove ungodliness from your life? Now, obviously, Jesus is using hyperbole because cutting off your hand is not going to change your heart. But what he's telling us is it's going to feel like you're losing a part of yourself. And you know why? Because you are. Paul just straight says it. He says, put off the old self. You are losing a part of yourself. You are losing who you are because that person was a lie. That's not who God created you to be. And you see, that's why so many times in our prayer, in our discipleship, we, we just stay too surface. And we want God to make us happy. And he's like, no, I want to make you holy. And this is going to run all the way to the heart and to the mind soul and I'm going to renew you but we're going to dig deep and I'm going to pull a thread that you're not going to like and I'm not turning loose of it and we thank God that he won't turn loose of it he's going to keep pulling he's going to keep unraveling and eventually we figure it out and we stop fighting him on it because at some point 
we finally get in our mind, God really does have our best interest in mind. God really does want what's good for us. And so we finally, at some point, to say, okay, God, I'm yours. Just go for it. And you know what happens? Something amazing happens. Our mind gets renewed at that point, and our life begins to change, and it's not nearly as bad as we thought it was going to be. We find peace within the process. We find God is there in the process loving us, and something amazing happens, and that is we renew the mind, then we put on the new self. We renew the mind, then we, so, so there is an order. I talked about earlier, there's an order to things, okay? And what is the order? Put off the old self. Be, be saved. First, you've got to accept Christ. Okay, if you're not saved, none of this works. None of this happens. You've got to accept Christ, be born again. If you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you need to do that first. After that, put off the old self. Then renew the mind. Then you put on the new life. And so many times we get stuck at the mind renewal because we start trying to put off the old life, but we don't renew our mind. And so we just feel like all we're doing is focusing on what we're not doing. And by focusing only on what we're not doing, we start doing it again. And then we start that loop, and it's ridiculous. But we have to renew the mind. And this is what Paul says. Listen to what he says in verse 23. He says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. God is going to take away the lie and replace it with the truth. The truth that is eternal. The foundation that is unmoving. That is eternal. In Revelation, it's one of, I, I love it, just the personal nature of it. It's, a, it's the new name that he gives you that's known only between him and you. But you've got this secret with God that is firm and it's fixed and it's who you are and God knows it and you know it and, and nobody can convince you otherwise. Isn't that a blessed place to be in this world? To know your identity in Christ to such a level that it doesn't matter what anybody else says. God says, hey, you're mine. And I gave you a name and this is who you are. And so this order is important. Because we often try to do it in reverse, and it always fails. We try to put on the new life before our mind's been renewed, or we even put off the old life. And we're trying to mix oil and water. And we shake it, and we shake it, and we work, and we work, and we're like, God, why is this working? And he goes, you're doing it backwards. That's not how I told you to do it. And so the mind can only be renewed once the old self is gone. Okay, it's like trying to clean out water. If you keep adding dirt to it, you never get the clear water. And so what he's telling us is take the old, pour it out. It's dirty. It's contaminated. Once that's gone, learn the filter. Put the filter. Install the filter. And then when you start pouring in the new things, the filter's going to work to only let in what's needed, what is pure, what is good, what is righteous, what is holy. And then you have what God intended. And so this 
is why. Worship, Bible study, and prayer are so important. Life change works like this. Remove the old, useless, worldly self. Renew the mind. Connect in worship. Learn and study. Get empowered through prayer. And then actively put on the new self. New identity, new actions, new life. Too many people want to jump to the new life, but they haven't renewed their minds. Now, how many of you remember when your kids or when you, you know, learned to ride a bike? And they wanted to just jump on and go, right? Let's just go. What happens? It's a horrible crash with crying and tears and scraped knees. And so what do you do? You pick them up. You say, hey, this is a process. You've got to learn how to balance. You've got to learn how to fall. You've got to learn how to do this. And there's steps involved. And so too many people changed their clothes and put on a swimsuit and showed up at the pool but still didn't know how to swim. And so they don't get in the water and then claim that the pool is boring and unrewarding because they're standing on the edge, never actually getting in. This is what happens when we short-circuit our discipleship process and we don't put off the old, renew the mind, and then put on the new. See, in Romans 12, too, Paul puts it like this. He says, do not be conformed to this world. Guess what that is? Put off the old self. That's what that is. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Learn the truth of God. Put off the old self so that then when the old self is gone, you can now learn something. You're not thinking the same. You're now open to new truth. And when you renew the mind, then what does he say? That by testing you may discern what the will of God is. Then you can do what God wants you to do. You'll be able to test it. You'll know. The filter will be working and you will know what it is God wants from you. See, there is a process to this. And he says what is good, acceptable, and perfect. There is a process. And so until we have renewed our mind, we cannot know the will of God. We can't. What is the will of God? It is the life he wants you to live that is in alignment with the new identity you received at your salvation. So yes, we must renew our minds. But this is only the second step in the process. And this is where Baptists historically get stuck. And I mean this. This is, I've been a Baptist, you know, my entire Christian life almost. And I'm going to tell you, we get stuck here. Because we love our Bible studies. And we think that that's the answer for everything. And yes, we need to know the word. We need to be a people of the word. But that's just step number two. Once we have the Bible study, if it doesn't lead to life change of putting on the new life, guess what? We've stopped the process. And adding another Bible study to step two, if we don't go to step three, doesn't help. It doesn't change anything. And this is why we have so many, and I mean this, this is why we have so many powerless Baptist churches in our country right now, because we are stuck in part two. And when we get stuck in part two, God will convict us of it. But you know what happens? That's when legalism sets in. Because, hey, I got rid of the old life, so I must have accomplished something. And I've learned some truth, so I must be pretty good. So if everybody was just like me, but you know what? We didn't get to number three. New life, service. What, is, what, what are steps in number three? Become a servant witness and become a disciple maker. And if we don't turn that corner, 
we get self-righteous. We get judgmental. We get mean-spirited because the new life is a life of love. And we're going to see that later in Ephesians. The new life is a life of, of love and service and, and grace. But those can only happen in action. They don't happen in step two. They happen in step three. And Paul has told us, we have to turn this corner. He says, we have our minds be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self. And he says, that is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That means our life will reflect what we learned in step two. We will put it into action. And step three is hard. And so do not consider anything complete in your life spiritually until it leads to active obedience. Okay? That, that worship, you come in here, you lift your hands, that's amazing. You're connecting with God. You need to connect with God. We need powerful worship. But if it stops there, you didn't complete the process. If you went to a Bible study and you learned some great truth about God, that's amazing. That's good. God revealed it to you, and that's what we need. But if it doesn't lead to some kind of obedience, it's incomplete. No spiritual act is complete until it leads to obedience. Until it leads to putting on the new life. Just as intentionally as we had to put off the old self, we have to put on the new self. Which is actively embracing the new identity God has given us. The new person. And if we get stuck at any point, we got a whole culture right now that's stuck at, at step one in worship. They just think, hey, I'll just go worship. Only worship is the answer to everything. Life falling apart, I just, I'll just praise God. If I just praise God, it'll all work out. No, it's going to work out is stop making bad decisions. Start making decisions that honor God. And watch Him work within that. And so step one, remove the old self. Isn't complete until we renew the mind. We must replace it with something. Step two, renewing the mind. It isn't complete until the mind is so renewed that it leads to righteous action and obedience. Step three, obedience, as we'll see later in Ephesians, will lead to love of neighbor, which will show itself in service and disciple-making. So until we have a kingdom mindset of growing the kingdom and loving other people, don't consider yourself spiritually mature. That's any of us. I, that's a hard statement, okay? I know that that was like, wow, but, but that is the truth. True spiritual maturity always shows itself in service and disciple-making. And that's why we have chosen to focus on those so much here. Because this discipleship process cannot be cut short. We are to take off the old and put on the new. And it is a process that takes time. And Paul's going to explain that process throughout this book now. He's, he's laid it down. He's going to explain what it looks like. Next week, we will get into what that actually looks like. So he, he defines it for us, and that's a good thing. He doesn't just leave us out there to figure it out. He shows us what this process actually looks like, and we will get into that next week. But each of these steps is indispensable. We must remove the old. We must renew the mind. And then we must obey in righteousness. This is what it means to live by faith. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this day you've given us, God. We thank you 
that you have called us to a new life, to a new self, a new identity. God, that the world, our failures, our past, nobody gets to tell us who we are but you. But God, we know we have to put off that old self in order to hear that new name that you have given us. Lead us, God, to renew our minds, to not be conformed to this world any longer, but to be renewed in our minds so that we can seek and approve of your will, that we can do what you want us to do in life, be who you want us to be. God, help us be mindful this week of putting on the new self. And wherever we're at in the process, maybe we need to put off the old. Maybe we need to renew our mind. Maybe we need to be more active in putting on the new self. Wherever we are at in this process, God, I pray you help us to be mindful of it and intentional in what we do. Holy Spirit, I ask you to convict, empower, teach, Comfort, heal, whatever's needed to move us along this path, God, I pray that you would do it, that we would be open to it. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray together, amen.